This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Travel is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. My name's Dan Andrews. I'm with Rome International. And what I love about travel is really just the excited ignorance of going to a new place and not knowing the language or anything about it, but figuring out everything on your own and then realizing that, yeah, this is something that I can do without help or without anything. And I think it takes you to the next stage in life. What does it mean to be location independent? Coming up, you'll discover the freedom it brings and learn from someone who went from traveling the U.S. in an RV to setting up communities and co-living spaces around the world. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. Hi, Dane. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I'd like to ask you about a trend that we're seeing a lot of Mm -hmm. in in that the nomadic lifestyle is really starting to take a hold as um, something that people aspire to. Um, What does Rome provide to people who are interested in nomadicism and how is it different from them just going out on their own? Yeah, great question. Um, It was actually a question that a lot of us encounter once you think about, you know, going into that lifestyle or already have. And it was something that myself and even my other co-founders, we all ran into the same problems and realizing that there's logistical things, which Rome definitely helps with. And that's where, you know, a lot of our spaces come into play in terms of being able to make sure that you always have private room, private bathroom, all of those things, things that you want to be able to rely on internet that functions always versus getting there. And yeah, we have Wi-Fi, but it doesn't work half the time, all those types of things. So we wanted to solve for all of those logistical things. But at the end of the day, the real difference between Rome and doing it on your own is the people. So you're getting there, you have a community of interesting people from the moment you arrive versus getting to a new city, setting it all up yourself, you know, going to maybe a co-working space or coffee shops and meeting people. And then let's say you're in that new city for a month. By the time you leave, you've just now started to make all those connections. And so you don't really get to dive deep into people. And that's one thing that actually a lot of people comment on is they go place to place, they meet all these people, but they don't really make these true, long lasting, deep relationships. But Rome provides you the ability to arrive and have that from day one so that the entire month or a couple weeks or, um, you know, few months that you're there, no matter what it is you can have that relationship with those people. And then you hop from place to place and maybe you meet somebody at Rome, London, and then, you know, a few months later, you bump into each other at Rome, Tokyo. And that type of authentic interaction is what we, what we, yeah, what we really say it makes the big difference between staying in Rome or somewhere else. And that's what our biggest, our biggest goal is, is making sure that our spaces are always set up that way too. So it's not just hanging out with people and having a beer, but something to where you leave and you go, wow, I met some really awesome people there. So what is um, what is it that the about Rome that really unifies the people? Is there a, a common, uh, like kind of criteria or like what is there a program that they have? Like is there a bonding experience you guys work on or how's yeah, it all, how's it all shaped? Great out? question. Um, so so much of what we do is around the architecture of the space, and that's something that Bruno, our CEO, um, who's who's really the one who came up with the idea and put it all together conceptually and um, really realized that he's a, he's a designer by trade and grew up in hospitality. So he kind of saw, you know, the social dynamics of hospitality, but then getting into design really realized that you can set up your spaces in a way that really facilitate that or not. And not that, you know, I think that we're so much better um, at co-living than anybody else, but I do think that that's something that we focus on considerably more than any other co-living providers looking at the space, almost how, um, you know, an urban planner will look at an entire city. That's how we look at the building. We look at it from the perspective of how can we make sure that when people are in our spaces, it's not just, you know, a, a real estate guy might want to cut it up to maximize price per square foot. But for us, it's not about price per square foot. That's not why we picture the building and the model. It's more about making sure that the place is set up so that there are those interactions. And we, we say we maximize for happiness in that sense. So, um, that's part of it. But there's also the idea that when you put people in a space and you're thinking through all those elements of how to make sure that we maximize for that uh, authentic interaction, when people have that common denominator of 
looking at life through a different perspective and they have that element to them, which is why they sought out Rome in the first place, why they were even Google searching or listening to a podcast or doing whatever, how they found out about us. They have that element of, oh, life doesn't always have to be like you might be told in school. You can actually do something differently and there are other people out there. So it's that that curiosity, I think, that really binds everyone together from, a, like I said, a, a common denominator in terms of who they are um, internally. And then, of course, the external perspective of how the space helps that uh, become. Yeah, that's interesting. It's something that we've, we've seen here, in, uh, not just Plug Voyager, but also like a similar kind of aspect, you know, environments uh, really important, but it, it has to have some common goal. It has to have like, or not even just goal, like sentiment, even mm-hmm. if you can instill that sentiment and find and really drive that home with like the messaging of, uh, which it sounds like you do with Rome, um, you find that the similar kind of energy is attracted and, and a lot of, um, a lot of positive relationships are formed really quickly. Um, so what is it that, what's the distinction between other locations? Have you seen huge differences from, you know, people traveling in London versus Um, a bit, but that's more in terms of the logistics than the mindset, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just because somebody is in London, um, and they're, let's say a lawyer in their mid forties who travels back and forth between Azerbaijan and London, this is a real person. So, um, (laughs) Hey Fred, he, (laughs) so he, uh, you know, was there, but the interesting thing for him was, you know, he spent six months there and then six months in London and he was, you know, working with this different family office that that's why he was traveling back and forth. And it was really difficult for him to, you know, meet people in, in that amount of time. So being able to come into a space where that makes sense, logistically, that's why he was in London, but in terms of the mentality, he had, was the same as, you know, somebody who's maybe a um, designer who works for IDEO and is now at their satellite office in Tokyo and realizing, ah, you know, I'm going to the Tokyo office and, you know, I, I don't know the city at all. It's kind of different for me. I've never really lived outside the States. Rome is a perfect place for me to plug in easily. So again, the cities are different, but the mentality is the same. They're still looking for the idea of being able to come there, meet people, have those authentic interactions and and really utilize the idea of, hey, I'm going to a new place, but that doesn't mean that I have to, you know, be stuck in a lonely hotel room or an Airbnb where, you know, maybe I see the host, maybe I don't, <laughs> those types of things. So, yeah, I would say that there's definitely differences, but again, they all, everybody who, who comes to the Rome space um, has that, has that same... Um, sense of curiosity like I mentioned before and I think that that's really what it is and you find that they're looking for you know the places to be a little different on the design side you know like kind of reflecting the place more how does that get that place-based architecture idea come into play yeah great question so I think a lot of people look at it through the lens of they just want a space where where they can be excited and you know when you're in a I don't know um not to rip on like Regis, but like if you're in a Regis workspace, <laughs> why did fair. they not work out so well? It's not really that exciting to be there. Gray walls, cubicles, that type of thing. Um, so like you were saying earlier, like it becomes important with the architecture, but the design itself is is just something that is, I hate to use the word inspiring because, you know, I use it a lot. Everybody uses it a lot, but that's really what it is. It, it is an environment to where the design elements of the architecture are important, like I talked about before, but even the smaller things like just walking into a space and I look at it actually to answer your question from the lens of when I see a picture of it, do I picture myself there? And if I can picture myself there, I know I'm going to feel comfortable. If I have to try to picture myself there, then there's a pretty good chance in like that, a suit there. Yeah. Like, you gotta like, you know, <laughs> but you know what it is, and it's the same. It's the same when you're looking at any sort of accommodation or workspace. You you pull it up, and right away it clicks with you. Hey, I can see myself there, and you have this feeling inside of I kind of can't wait to get there. Mm. Or sometimes you're like, okay, that's nice. And even even nice hotel rooms, they kind of have that that um, energy about them to where you're like, okay, yeah, it's fine and it's nice, but. I don't really picture myself there. That to me seems like, you know, a family vacation spot that even if it's nice, it's just okay. It's not something to where I really can can dive in um, emotionally from, from that Yeah, lens. you need to be able to like want to go and work there, especially, you know, so yeah. I mean, if you're traveling too, you need to be able to have the best space that makes you, it is inspiring. You need to be able to do the work. You know? Yeah, yeah. What, um, I'd love to hear the origin story. 
know, how did this of all Rome. Come, yeah, how did this all come about? You know, um, from, you yeah. Know, so, like I said, Bruno, our CEO, my co-founders, he uh, really conceptualized the idea. Um, was living in a co-living space in San Francisco and, and realized, ah, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there were a bunch of these all over the world? So, you know, as I move from place to place, I could really just move from property to property, but have you know the idea of this type of uh, mentality of people and the you know, curiosity, all the things I talked about in different spots. And it was really interesting for me because I, at the time, was, you know, living location independently, traveling from place to place, realizing some of the same pain points that I talked about earlier. But um, uh, I was also living in a co-living space, which wasn't actually, they didn't call it co-living. It was eight rooms. It was this really nice place in Santiago, Chile, where there was four of us who lived there on like multi-month leases and then four rooms that were Airbnb. So different people like every weekend. And I really love that element of, hey, I have three really awesome roommates from all from different points. One was from France, one was from Spain, and then one was from Brazil. And we all lived there full time. But then there was like these rooms, different people every weekend. And you got to meet and chat with people from all over the world. And I thought, this is really awesome. So I started to do some research and came across what Bruno was putting together. And so he had a website and was putting out um, information about looking for a team. And I said, man, this is awesome. Um, how can I How can I join this project? And so I I just bugged him a bunch until he was like, all right, Payne, like, here's how I think you could fit in. And so then that's kind of how it uh, how it got started. And Flo, um, who's our third co-founder, he was friends with Bruno before that. So they kind of lived that way together. And then he brings all the, the tech elements to our side. So we're kind of like this sales tech design um, setup, I guess. Yeah, the tech was actually a question I had is kind of that that seems like a big element of it. You know, if you're yeah. in Tokyo, you know, you want to still connect with people you might have met in London. So walk us through that, you know, on the tech side of it, if you are trying to connect a global community, how are you guys doing that? Yeah, so we do have, um, you know, our own platform where people log in. We call it Rome Passport. So it's kind of that idea that, you know, you can log in and book your home anywhere. And I guess the major element um that fits into this and, and literally everything that we do is we do view Rome as your home. We do view it from the lens of, and we know it's not everyone's home, right? But at the end of the day, what we're really doing is looking at housing from a different perspective, not, not um, you know, hospitality necessarily. So for us, it really is that idea. So, you know, in building the platform, it's really about being able to log into your you log into your own passport and say, hey, you know, I want to go to London for a month and book it right there and not have to worry about anything. And then, you know, log back in when you're in London and say, hey, do I want to extend for another week or month in London um, or just go to Tokyo and doing that right then and there? Because I think we all know anybody who's done some extensive traveling going again to Airbnb and sending out a bunch of messages and looking through a thousand photos and spending hours and hours doing those things can just become a real waste of time. So um, having a platform where the network of properties themselves are something you can rely on and then being able to just do that easily is exactly um, exactly what it does right now. In the future, um, which we're not there just yet, but it's actually what we're working on right now, is getting the platform to a, to a space where it actually has all of the communication features as well. So it's one of the, you know, it'd be the go-to spot for people to say like, hey, you know, I stayed at Rome, Miami in six months ago, but now I want to do a different, um, I don't know, like a designer meetup at Rome, London, who wants to meet up there in December and everybody can say, oh, I stayed at Rome, Bali in this time and now we can all go there together. So it doesn't have that feature just yet, but that's exactly what we're going with is. So the idea of it not just being a network of, physical spaces and a platform, but really bringing it 360 so that it's, you know, this network of physical spaces with this network of people all connected through technology that can use the physical spaces as a way to have a community that's not just online, but a community that's in person. And so, um, yeah, that's really like where we are, where we're headed. Of course, we'd love to be there today, but like, you know, that's that's how it works, right? And so right now we, we do connect people when they arrive. Um, through uh, members-only Facebook groups, and that's how people communicate, stay in contact. WhatsApp groups work really well, too, so that, you know, people, even this weekend, I'm actually meeting up with a couple roamers that were in Rome, London a few months ago, and another roamer that was in um, Rome, Miami, and we're all just meeting up this weekend because we had this WhatsApp group going, and we're like, hey, who's in New York? And I was like, oh, hey, I'm here, and everybody's like, oh, okay, cool, let's meet at the Brooklyn Cider Mill, the new place that just opened, so... Anyway, um, how many yeah. people are we talking here? You know, what's the, what's the kind of scope of the network right now? Right. We've had over 2000 people. So 2000 alumni come through our space, 2000 roamers, um, we call them. And so, you know, those are all people that have have stayed at one of our properties for a week or more. 
Um, and we have, you know, people, we have a subset of people who travel from place to place. So they like literally are going everywhere all the time and have been, I think we have two people that have been to every single property. All of them. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, it's time, right? So we've yeah. only had our most recent properties that, you know, London and Tokyo haven't even been open for a full year yet. So like, obviously it takes time for people to get from place to place, but that's what's really great too. And so we have these like neat little um, stamps now that like when people go from place to place, they get this like cool stamp on their Rome passport yeah. of like um, where they've been and that type of thing. And, and interestingly enough, um, the second person, so he wasn't the first, but the second person to go to all four properties was my dad. Oh, um, he, uh, check on, check on <laughs> no, he just, he's just, and it's, it's funny because, you know, people look at what we do and sorry to, to dovetail off your question, but like, I think it's, it's just funny to me how when people look at what we do and they automatically assume it's just millennials and I have to remind them, I, no, not at all. You know, like our average age is late thirties, 38, 39. Um, cause we have people in their forties, fifties, sixties, even seventies coming through. And, you know, my dad's a perfect example of that. You know, he's 65, 66, single guy, just likes to travel. He says he works, but he doesn't really do much. He just checks his email <laughs> from time to time, keeps him busy. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's really great for him because he can go from property to property. Normally he'd be staying in a hotel and yeah, maybe meeting a few people at the bar every now and then, but to be able to go to a you know, Tokyo and meet up with Marika, who's the community manager there. We have community managers at every site who lives on, who live on site, um, you know, have her kind of, you know, give them a few tips on where to go and what to do. But then he can also meet the other roamers. And, you know, they say like, hey, we're going to go get some, uh, I don't know, sushi at this one restaurant. And they all go together and that type of thing, which is the type of the type of experience that someone like him could probably never have without Rome. And not that not that he couldn't do it, but that he just wouldn't. He wouldn't ever put himself um in a position to do that but it, at rome it's just really easy and so i think it, it just kind of speaks to the idea that i i don't know why people just assume it's millennials there's definitely people from all ages backgrounds and experiences that appreciate the idea of meeting you know other people interesting i think uh you well, have... john though i know you have a question but you want to know what the real question i think you're thinking is <laughs> what is that you want to know let's go is with it, there Nick. a rome rome <laughs> oh right that tell me you've heard uh, this, that the whole time that's all you think about wasn't what i was thinking at the moment but is, is this it, is this where we start getting now. into all the rome puns because <laughs> rome rome like i just love it i want it <laughs> not yet but um definitely soon we've actually looked at a few properties yeah. there and it's funny because anytime you know in our sourcing channel whenever um because you know people are sending us properties all the time either people that find them and say hey i think this would be a good rome it's on the market or i know the owner and he's looking to sell it or yada yada or um you know owners themselves just reach out and say hey i have this beautiful property in the city like i'd love for to work with rome um and so it, it, multiple times properties in rome have come up and we always are like oh finally rome. Rome. <laughs> that's how we know we made it guys rome. yeah that's the headquarters <laughs> right? i guess it has yeah. to be rome roma technically welcome to rome in rome oh yeah we do say well we roma. say rome tokyo i don't yeah, even i've good. tried to pronounce tokyo in japanese but it would be bad so <laughs> I don't. I guess with that, yeah, we've set the precedent of saying in English, so we yeah, could yeah, keep right, it. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's a great time to uh, embarrass ourselves by stuffing our faces on mic. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when we get back, uh, uh, Dana's brought us a snack. What do you got for us? I today? did. Um, so I, I saw that that was the part of the customary thing. So I actually brought cornbread um, from Tokyo. Because- no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> From Brooklyn. <laughs> From uh from Brooklyn, and I've actually never had this brand, but I just really love cornbread. And I was talking to to Jenny outside, and she asked, "Oh, so what's your cornbread story?" And I thought, "I don't have a cornbread story. I just like cornbread. And they said, Bring something you like." But then I was like, "Shoot, maybe I need to think of a cornbread story." So I actually thought of a cornbread story that I was like, "Okay, um, Dish it I up. Guess. what is it?" So my cornbread story, which I thought of as I was walking in here, um, was so actually I really do love cornbread, and I think a lot of people know that who know me and my grandma makes some of the best cornbread of course right and my mom is not a very good cook and so one christmas we were all there and i was like ah oh, grandma you should you know make your cornbread and she's like okay i'll make it and i was like and you should show my mom so that she'll know how to make it in the future 
And I'm like, okay, great, great. I mean, it was kind of like self-serving so that you know, my mom could learn to make it with that <laughs> and have it more frequently. Shouldn't you have just said, like, um, I want to learn? Like, so I can make it. Let's not go that far. Right? <laughs> that sounds like a lot of effort. But uh, so then my mom and my grandma, you know, start to like think about all this stuff. And they also really like to drink wine. And so they had a few glasses of wine and, you know, the cornbread's in the oven for like 20 minutes at this point. And I look over and like the cornbread mix is still on the table. Oh and I'm like, and they're over there just giggling, having a grand old time because they're cooking together and drinking wine. I think the bottle's probably gone at this point. And I'm like, guys, why is the cornbread still on the table? And I look in the oven. They just put the cream and the creamed corn in the oven but forgot the cornbread mix. So they, I mean, my mom learned how to bake cream, basically. Is what she did. So it didn't work out. No. So my mom still has no idea how to make my grandma's cornbread. Nothing like warm cornbread. And that's my cornbread story. That's great. Awesome. Coming up, Dane's going to tell you about the economics behind co-working and co-living, some of the opportunities for partnerships and marketing for Rome, and what it's like to live a location-independent life. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. So as we, as we dive into the, the corn muffins, I'm interested, you know, in the, some of the economics behind what you're doing. Because there, it sounds like there's a high capital expenditure. Are you picking up and, and leasing these buildings? Are you buying them up, up front or... Like, also, I mean, is there a huge breakdown between the co-living aspects and the co-working aspects? Where's the breakdown there? Great questions. Um, I'll try to hit them all. So, for us, we initially started the model with leasing property. So, I don't want to get too real estate-y here, but... Um, we would take on normally triple net leases and actually operate the property. So, from a business perspective... Our relationship uh, in terms of a business model with the landlords themselves was pretty much the same relationship that a normal hotel operator would have. So, um, you know, Marriott's of the world, even they don't necessarily always own the buildings that they're in. It's just their brand on it. They're the operating company. They lease it out um, or have some management fee model. And uh, for us, it was it's very similar, obviously, just at a much smaller scale. And so we, we started off that way because, of course, having properties that are, you know, anywhere from. 10 million plus each um, in order to test out this idea by buying the properties from the beginning would have been quite expensive um, and could have not worked out, right? Because we were trying something that no one had ever really tried before. So we started off with the leasing model, but now as time has it and your question, we are literally in the point of where we're um, turning now to actually purchasing the properties. So it was really interesting for us to finally get to a point in the company and realize, okay, this does work. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there. This um, is a model that makes sense. And we have figured out, um, you know, how to all the pieces come together and, and how it really works. And so we now are at a point, like I said, where we're purchasing the properties, which just puts us in a much better position from a business perspective right. to just not leave things on the table. Because especially, you know, in, in our position, it's being small properties and we're operating them anyway. We're dealing with a lot of the major pain points um, on our own anyway. We might as well also benefit from the upside. But at the same time, why I'm really excited about it is because it also allows us to just provide a considerably better experience to the customers. When and it's when it's actually our place, not just a place that we are operating, but a place that we actually own. 
so many other doors open. It allows us to actually, you know, set up the space 100% the way that we wanted versus compromising on certain things with the landlord. Okay, we really want this, but we'll give up on that. But now we can get both because it's our place too. So it actually just allows us, like I said before, with a architectural design perspective to actually set up the space even more towards what we know really works and what doesn't work. And again, in you know, in the beginning, in the first two years, we had to figure a lot of stuff out. So um, it was good for us to actually have that period. But now we're at a point to where we're 100% confident in what we do. We know exactly how all the operations work. We know how the price points and all of the, um, you know, factors come together, like I said, in the operational side. So now let's actually pursue what makes the most sense for us as a company. And that's where we are. So it's actually a really exciting time. It's part of the reason why we're um, here in New York and headed to London later too, is to um, to actually kick off that next stage. So does that mean you have to raise a lot of money? Yes, believe it or not, multi-million yeah. dollars yeah. are not cheap. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, you really yeah. sold a lot of living but space. But at the end of the, the day, um, again, I don't know if we want to get too far into it, but um, I mean, we can. But uh, it, it really is, in a way, it puts us in a spot to where we are doing something now that's really, really fascinating for traditional real estate investors. So previously, we were backed by VCs that we were actually a little too capital intensive for them. And, you know, the, us us having leases were something where they said, ah, you know, that's that's too expensive. We like these lean marketplace models. But again, the problem with a lot of the lean marketplace models like the Airbnbs is they don't run the properties and they'll always have the problem in that model of relying on the host to do their job. And so it's something they're trying to solve for, but it's pretty much impossible when you run it from that perspective, which is fine. That works and that solves certain people's issues. But when we want to focus on the reliability and to focus on the operations and it's something that we do as part of what we offer as an experience and that's important to it that it always works, it's really interesting because now we fall less in the VC world, which is okay. You know, they helped us get started and they kind of, uh, they took the initial risk of, hey, would this even work or not? But now we fall more in what traditional real estate um, investors are looking for because the first question we got when we talked to them was, do you own the properties? And as soon as you said no, they said the opposite <laughs> of what any VC would say in that, oh, you guys aren't. Um, you know, you, you're not asset heavy enough, you know, we'd like to have the downside protection of actually owning the asset. And so it's also fascinating from our side, because we realized whether, whether we're purchasing the properties or not, yeah, it's definitely more capital to, to raise and then deploy. But when it comes to the actual work of sourcing the properties and going through the contract phase and doing all those things, it's different when you're acquiring the asset versus leasing it, you can move a little bit faster when you're leasing it. But 90% of the work we're already doing anyway. But again, leaving a lot on the table just because we're not actually purchasing them. And then also, like I said, kind of being between these two funding worlds versus actually looking at it from the perspective of, hey, there's no real financier out there that's saying, hey, my mandate is I want to find hotel operators and invest in them. Like this isn't, doesn't exist. So um, there might be like three. <laughs> so for us, it was realizing, oh, wow, not only would this be a much better experience for our customers, because now we can really control the experience beginning to end. We don't have to work with landlord partners, which, again, isn't always a problem, but does allow us to just have significantly more freedom. Um, we're also, as you asked, in a, in a financing world, actually going into a space to where now the why the real estate investors are really excited about it is because we are a new asset class. You know, before there was residential and hospitality and they have their pros and cons and some real estate investors invest in both to diversify. Some are just one or the other. Of course, you can cut and slice it any way you want, but to have a completely new asset class, to have something to where the cap rates are higher than what you would get um, for, you know, a residential model in New York, but at the same time has a lot more downside protection than trying to open up yet another hotel in New York. It it really is fascinating, I think, for for real estate investors to say, "Oh wow, this is this is not just you know um, something that is is kind of like, hey, what are these millennial kids doing?" But it's an entirely new <laughs> asset class that will definitely be around for a while, and I think that not just Rome, but a lot of other groups have have proved that already. Are you are you coming up against any kind of regulation or any kind of concerns? Uh, yeah. Um, great question. So we, in certain situations, we've benefited from the idea that Airbnb um, has has helped in the sense that they've been around for years. 
gone into some of the same markets that we're in have set sort of a precedent for how that might work and then we can work off that so not always and again it depends on how our model works but in certain situations like take london for example the fact that airbnb has gone there you know not that they necessarily went through all the legal battles they did to an extent probably lobbied for it quite a bit but at least put in um you know different regulations that allow us to operate with our model we we take advantage of that so sometimes like yeah the second mouse gets the cheese is is how we benefited um but at other times we we realize that the way we run our model doesn't necessarily work with just those regulations and we have you know a hotel license so even though we don't operate necessarily like a hotel we can take advantage of the idea of hey we have a hotel license so we can allow people to stay for shorter periods of time than somebody who's just working off the airbnb regulations are which take new york for example is just a month so um yeah, again, that's part of it and why for us, I'm really I'm really happy that we decided from the beginning that we were going to be an international company. Like technically the name of the company is Rome International Inc., right? <laughs> and for us, it was very important to be international from day one because if we were to look at it from that perspective but just be domestic and then try to go international, that would be a whole new fish to fry. And so for us, being international from day one – we have written the playbook on how to sort out these regulations and put things in place in quite a few different types of markets, you know, Bali, which is more remote, and then Tokyo, which is, you know, a much larger city in a completely different place, and then London, which is highly regulated, and then Miami, which is <laughs> the U.S., so we have all those regulations, but at the same time, a little bit more laid back. So anyway, now when we look at Rome, Shanghai, the idea of opening a place there doesn't scare us at all. We know exactly how to do it. We have people that can take the playbook from opening Rome Tokyo and opening Rome London and realize, okay, Shanghai is probably just a mixture of these two. What did we learn from that those two places and move forward? So I think it's it's something to where we we didn't know that that would actually become so helpful down the road, um, as helpful as it is, because now we can look at yeah Rome anywhere in the world and we're like, yeah, we could definitely make it happen, no problem. And now you even have investors building with Airbnb in Florida. So they're building yes. Airbnb building, you know, they so are. half, half condo, half Airbnb. And yeah, you know, that's, that's, so it's, it's already shifting there. Yes. You know, so they're, they're coming and you've proved and they proved and now it makes it easier to sell probably. Right. Once, once someone like that starts doing what you guys have been doing. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think that the interesting thing too is the different ways that people are looking at it. Right. So where we fall, we get compared sometimes to, um, you know, we live, which is the co-living property by WeWork. Sometimes we get compared to, um, you know, Airbnb and, and those types of situations. And then sometimes we get compared to, I don't know, things like remote year, which we're actually not really like remote year at all. Um, but I think it's interesting. And my point is that everybody's looking at this space and doing something slightly differently. And so I think that we're all in a realm of, OK, what actually makes the most sense? But what I what I appreciate about what we're doing is, again, it being from day one an international perspective, not just something that's domestic and then trying to go internationally um, as, as we live is now. They're just now looking at uh, the announced uh, we live Tel Aviv. So that'll be their first international place, um, which, again, being as being having the capital that they have, I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out. But we already know that we have. And so anything that they're running into right now and probably problems that they are just encountering, we've already solved. So I think it's, like I said, a good testament to the idea of we all came at it from a different angle, but we're all uncovering this idea that there, yeah, there is a potential for a completely new asset class out there. And it's, it hasn't, nobody's really got the perfect secret sauce yet, but it's definitely there. And I think we're all getting really, really close. How do you, um, yeah, how do you approach, it sounds like you have a good playbook, right? Like you mentioned, how do you approach marketing? You know, because it's an international company, you're basically targeting kind of a concept necessarily more than a demographic. Mm -hmm. You're, um, you know, every time you open a new location, is there an opportunity for local partnerships? Like what are the things that you look for when you're building your customer acquisition strategy? Yeah. So a couple of things in that question, I would say when it comes to when it comes to marketing, um, we've realized that there 
again, I don't know how deep we want to get into the marketing of it. Like that's that's part of my role too. So I I mean I could speak specifically about it, but I don't know how interesting that is for people. Um, Very interesting. But, uh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, if it is, yeah. So so for us, when we look at it, like from a channel perspective, Facebook does work the best. It really is just a channel that allows for people to. It allows us to target in a really comprehensive way, um, but at the same time, it allows for the the aspects of Rome to shine through. So, um, for example, you know, we, we do have really great properties and we have, you know, videos of our properties and photos of our properties. And it's just Facebook's a great medium to be able to um, showcase that. Instagram works okay. Um, we've had some moderate success with Instagram. But, for example, um, the video that we have, we... It, We've tried to get it under a minute, um, but it's tough. You know, there's a lot of what our concept entails that, especially in terms of copy and like talking about what Rome is, it's hard to get that across <laughs> and, and under a minute. Um, but again, Facebook giving you, you know, a bit more time there, you can really, at least in our minds, hit home on what the concept is from beginning to end. Because at first, there's a lot to grasp, right? You know, especially people that aren't as knowledgeable of the space. You know, when I meet people sometimes and tell them what I do, they're like, wait, what do you do? So, um, (laughs) you know, coming across those types of people. But again, so not not to get too marketing specific, but Facebook definitely um, has become by far our best performing channel. And that is how we require a lot of our our new customers. do you look Another. for like the local like when you do Facebook? Do you do or do Facebook when you do the Facebook? <laughs> when you do when you do Facebook, um, you know, ad campaigns. Are you focusing them on the region that you're developing the the location, or does it matter? Because you know, a lot of this is about people who are you know more transient and not necessarily tied to a location. Um, it's a bit of everything. So at certain times we'll target different regions more, um, and at certain times we we don't always target the local region just because our model and our properties do they solve more problems for people coming to the city than people necessarily in the city if that makes sense so we do have people who move there but again with the um perspective of you know it is a place to where it's it's set up take it from this angle, like the price point is something between an apartment and a hotel. So if you look at it from a basic just real estate model, it's always going to be more expensive than an apartment one because apartment's not furnished because you have to go through all of this rigmarole to get it set up. You're signing on for 12 months, all of those things. So as a mm. price point, people say, well, you know, I'm going to, I live here. I'm, I might as well live here. I want it to get the lowest price that I can. And so you could stay at Rome, but it's just going to be more. So we do have people that do that, but it's definitely not something that we, um, that, like I said, it doesn't, it solves more people, problems for people that are moving to the city in the first place. So we have people that move there and, you know, they stay there for the first three, six months while they look for a place and while they're thinking about staying there. And then if they decide, sometimes they'll, you know, get apartment for the next 12 months, but then sometimes they, um, you know, move to another city. And that's really where there's just more, it's more of a value proposition to those people than somebody Mm -hmm. moving, you know, saying, oh, hey, I have this apartment. Let me move to Rome, Miami because I want to do that. It, they could, and we have people who do, but again, it's not it's not the biggest part of our business. I wonder if there's an opportunity to uh, pair that with um, airline data. So like when a lot of people are, are traveling to Tokyo mm-hmm. from a specific country, basing a lot of your ad campaigns around the location where, um, you know, kind of the most tourists are coming from, that might be an interesting um, opportunity, you know, even just a even just like in terms of Facebook advertising. Um, Coming up, you'll hear some more personal side behind Dane and his love for cornbread. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career.
Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. And now it is time to get to know Dane a little bit more personally. So our flight attendant is here to help us out with uh, who's going to be asking the first question, and that is... Passenger Nick Vivian. Nick Vivian, please come to the front of the cabin. Nick Vivian! Oh, I just love it when I get my name called over the PA. You know you're in trouble when. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dane, question about... You mentioned your dad. Okay. And I would like to know about your first family trip. My that you can first remember or the best trip. one, you know, doesn't you know whatever that most memorable thing is. Yeah, it sounds sure, like your dad shares sure. a little bit of that passion. Um. So, first family trip. I guess I don't know if it was first, but it was definitely one of the first. Um, which also might explain my life a little bit. Is um, so my parents we lived in Michigan. That's where I was born. They were just felt kind of stuck there. I guess. Um, and wanted to do something different, so they decided to sell our place in Michigan, and we bought a um, an RV and just traveled around like the states in an RV for like six months. Um, and at the time, which my dad told me the story, it almost sounds crazy, but at the time, my dad was doing his MBA while we were doing that, and this is like the '90s, so this is a pre like internet yeah. MBA, right? Like I think they just had. Netscape, maybe at that point. <laughs> Very and impractical, so, yeah. But he was like, do, and I was like, how did you do that? And he's like, well, you know, I would, they gave me the books and I studied the books and then I'd go to different places and I'd take the tests. I'm like, that sounds insane. I don't know, it doesn't even sound true. It just sounds weird. But anyway, <laughs> so um, we were like that. And it was, you know, myself, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And we just, yeah, traveled around the States um, in an RV for like six months. And then right after that, we went to uh, England. We lived there, I think, for like probably three, four or five months, something like that. Um, and my mom was like in equestrian school for a few months and then we traveled around like Europe for a bit too. So it's like a year of my life when I was about two, my sister was like four, um, where we were like this location independent family. So it wasn't like we were just, you know, vagabonds going from place to place. Like my parents were still living their life. Like my dad was taking his MBA. My mom was like progressing her career, like in equestrian school. So, um, that's yeah i guess when i tell that story to people like oh now your life makes so much more sense (laughs) because when i told my parents like i used to work in finance or work for uh vanguard mutual fund company but i even choked up saying the name because i hated working (laughs) no i'm just kidding actually vanguard's a really great company i rip on them all the time it just wasn't for me they're super moral awesome company i'll always invest with them but um just didn't enjoy working there didn't fit me anyway um so, you know, when I wanted to quit, I told my parents, like, hey, I'm going to, you know, leave Vanguard and I don't really know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go travel for a while, work on some stuff and then kind of see what happens. And they were like, yeah, OK. So it was like, they, it, yeah. you know, it's not that they didn't care, but it's like they totally understood, you know, whereas I think some parents are like, what, you're leaving your job in finance to do what now? It was not like that at all. It was like, OK, yeah, I'm not so I'm not so shocked. So I was I was lucky in that sense that because um, I was 23 at the time. So, um, yeah, you know, I was still at an age where, you know, I was like, oh, I hope my parents don't think I'm insane. Um, now I'm I sure care they much still less. Thought that but you were like, insane, but they were just yeah, like, but I mean, just do whatever he wants to do. Right. But I don't yeah. think that they thought it was that out of the question. Yeah. So props, mom and dad. Attention, passenger John Matson, report to gate 22. What is your scariest travel story? <sighs> Oof. Good question. I like that. Could, could it also be an RV with your parents? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was too, so one. I remember that. Yeah, it happened, you're Everything was a little bit scary at that time. My scariest travel story. I think actually the most dodgy place I've ever been was probably was probably Athens. Actually, believe it or not, you know, I've, I've been to some places where you would expect them to be a little bit more like Athens, shady. New York? Or- um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, Athens, Greece. And this was not during, you know, like riots or anything. It was just it was back in probably like 2011, I think. Um, and I was just, it was funny because got there, um, got a cab, 
And as I'm getting into the cab, I tell the guy, um, yeah, I'm going to, he happened to speak English a bit. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to Sophocles. And he looks at me, a cab driver in Athens goes, nobody goes to Sophocles. <laughs> and I'm like, no, man, I'm like, my hostel's there. Like, it's fine. It seems like a cool hostel. And he's like, all right. <laughs> so he rolls up the window, which is not a good way to start your cab ride. <laughs> he rolls up the window and we drive there. And like we get to Sofa Close and like he's on the street that's perpendicular to Sofa Close and he's like, that's Sofa Close. And it's this super shady back alley street. And I'm like, yeah, Hostel Zeus, I can see the sign down there. Can you take me down there? And he's like, <sighs> and then he turns in and there's, you know, it's like Skid Row in, in L.A. in the 80s. It's just like like prostitutes and people doing drugs out in the open. And he somebody comes up and starts like knocking on the window and he like doesn't make eye contact and slowly rolls up his window and goes, welcome to Sofa Close. <laughs> <laughs> and then like stops in front of the hostel. Um, and I like, you know, get out, get my things. And he takes off and like I get in actually super nice hostel. And I get in and funny enough after that whole experience, which is probably the shadiest travel experience that I have in all the places I've been. I get to the counter and there's a guy sitting there and he's like looking at my passport and he's like, asking me questions. Oh, where are you from? I'm like, Oh, I'm from Arizona. And he's like, Oh, which part? And I was like, Oh, you know, American guy turned out. Um, I was like, Oh, like Scottsdale area. And he's like, I'm from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm like, what? You're working in a hostel on sofa close. Now everybody knows it's brand, but like he happened to also be from like the same part of Phoenix that I'm from too. So it just kind of reminded me that, no matter what happens in the world, like you'll always run into a guy from Phoenix. No, like you'll always, you'll always meet people that you know. No matter how weird it is or scary it gets, so like it's not I've that big of a world. Scottsdale. Yeah. <laughs> you guys read the same brochure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Come to Suffolk. He was too scared to leave. I think. <laughs> Golf courses littered with needles. Yeah. <laughs> both. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Dane, how can somebody get in touch with you or Rome it could be Instagram it could be an email what's the best way yeah um honestly the best way is is the website rome.co um dot co uh roam.co not dot com um it, it really is the best way .com? yeah I know it's a long story behind the dot com too <laughs> god that asshole um but <laughs> if he's listening I'm not a fan, but <laughs> stand by those words. It's uh, you know roam.co, um, rome.co is really the best place to go because that's where you can go, and if you are ready to go to a place, you can you know select the location you want to go to, put in the dates, fill out some information about yourself, and it'll go to our membership team, and they'll take a look at it, make sure the dates um, you know are available and everything, and then um, accept you and send it through. Or if you're not ready yet, some people are just like interested to learn more. You can go sign up, you know, do the um, information about yourself already and then you'll get access to the the, the platform that Rome Passport I talked about earlier so that from that point forward you can chat with us um, it makes it really easy to kind of go through like different avenues to either give us a call or set up a phone call that's what I mean so versus just mm -hmm. picking up the phone and reaching out like you can you know go to our calendars at that point and put a time that works so I just think I don't know everyone's busy these days so it's a lot easier to like do that than just like pick up a phone you know whose phones anymore without <laughs> setting it up it's always weird um but no i mean you could do that too you could just call us but at the point the point is i think it's just easier for people to go to the website check it out see you know more about it and then at the very least just sign up and um people always ask i get the question a lot too of like oh like what are you looking for to accept people and to be honest we've from day one um sometimes we get compared to like soho house just because we do care a lot about the design of the places but um, we've always looked at it from the perspective of, yeah, they're super exclusive. And I think that's why people ask that question of like, oh, what are you looking for to get accepted to Rome? That type of thing. And for us, it's it's never been about being exclusive. It's always been about being inclusive. And not that there's anything wrong with either of those, but it really was um, something we we openly talked about that like, hey, we don't want Rome to be this super exclusive place where you have to know someone to get in or feel like you're being judged when you, you know, write about yourself. But just like, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about what you're excited to do with the community so that we can get a pretty good sense that, hey, this is something that um, 
you know, that you care about the idea of living in a space and meeting interesting people, something you fit in with. On occasion, we definitely do turn people away. So we do have humans that go through every app and, you know, look up information that's online and every once in a while we'll go, okay, there's a huge red flag here. Let's not accept that person, but it's very rare. So my point is don't feel like you need to scrutinize over your app. Just tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, why you're interested in Rome, and then um, we go from there. Is there a final thought that you'd like to share on this a reflection on this interview or your experiences, maybe even the industry at large? Um, it's a really good question. Final thought I would say is I, I guess I would just leave with the idea that if you're really thinking about doing something like this, just do it. I, I know everybody looks at it and I've had so many people tell me like, Oh, you know, I wish I could do that or oh I envy you so much and Every, it's not it's not a difficult thing to do. You know, people always think that, oh, well, how do you make money? How do you do all those things? Like, how do you make money in life? Like, those are all problems that have to be solved no matter what. So you're just solving it from a different perspective. So it's not that anything is impossible and it's not that you have to be any certain type of person to have a little bit more flexibility and freedom in your life. If you want to, do it. And whether it's through Rome or not, I, I just always encourage people to look at it through the perspective of, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I don't want to necessarily live in Memphis anymore. And I want to maybe even just spend a couple months or a couple years doing something differently. I think that if it's on your mind, then go ahead and pursue it because there's so many avenues, so many tools, so many different ways that it can happen now that there's almost no excuse beyond you just realizing, oh, I'm, I'm what's holding me back, not anything else. So if you have questions, if you have concerns, reach out to us. We do pod, um, not podcast webinars a lot about uh, how to live a location independent life. So you can reach out and ask when the next one on that is if, if you're interested. Um, or again, the internet is a great place because believe it or not, there's a bunch of free information on there <laughs> and you can you know learn how to do it yourself. So yeah, that's what I would say. Closing thought. If you're thinking about it, just do it. I think that's a pretty famous slogan from some right. company nike that shit oh yeah nike yeah no, I'm kidding. of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for for uh joining us dane yeah of course appreciate. guys happy to be here thanks for having me of course and uh for my co-host nick vivian it's been very swell this summer around. very swell very. Oh, this is swole a very swell conversation swell yeah. and swell <laughs> and i'm your host john madsen bon voyage and we'll talk to you soon This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.